Welcome to the Self-Care Society podcast with your hosts, Celia Williamson, Ashley Kucher, Louis Guardiola, and Carrie Shaw, a podcast devoted to those whose job it is to help others get or remain mentally, physically, and emotionally healthy, but who also need to take care of themselves. How we're going to do this? By first showing you the filtered, pretty version of success, and then the real struggles, real work, and raw grit it took to get there, how they took care of themselves and also achieved their goals while doing it. Together, we will work with you to improve and maintain your internal health and growth while helping you achieve your external goals and your next professional achievement in life. And we're excited to show you how to follow your own individual and unique path and achieve the dreams you have while taking good care of yourself. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Isabel Matosian. Thank you so much for joining me today for the Self-Care Society podcast. I hope that you've all had some time to enjoy the nice weather we're starting to see here in Ohio, especially because we never know when it's going to turn on us and start snowing or doing something absolutely insane. This month's theme has been topics related to emotional regulation. There are a ton of aspects of emotional regulation, So today I want to focus primarily on key skills that you can learn and build to regulate your emotions according to positivepsychology.com. These skills could be crucial to your future successes, both internally and externally, in your future personal life or career. A general definition of emotional regulation is a person's ability to effectively manage and respond to an emotional experience, and it may be with regard to positive or negative emotions. There are three components of emotional regulation, initiating actions that are triggered by emotions, inhibiting actions triggered by emotions, and modulating responses that are triggered by emotions. Emotional regulation is about how we tend to our emotions and reactions in a way that reduces or at least does not evoke additional stress. Some of the skills for emotional regulation include personal awareness, mindful awareness, cognitive reappraisal, adaptability, self-compassion, and emotional support. Let's start with personal awareness, also known as self-awareness. When a stressful situation arises, a crucial part of regulating your emotions is knowing what those emotions are. Are you angry, sad, ashamed, anxious? My favorite part about this skill is that you don't necessarily need to do anything about it. Just acknowledge the feeling that is taking control. Once you recognize what that feeling is, you can decide what steps to take next. The fix that the situation requires may be different if you're angry versus if you're feeling ashamed or even jealous. It's like any situation that needs intervention. If your sink is leaking, you first identify where the problem is, what needs to be dealt with, and what is controlling the current problem. Now, just because we don't have to do anything about the feeling yet doesn't mean that there isn't a way to learn more and strengthen this skill. There are so many benefits to self-awareness that can help in your personal or professional life. Self-awareness means that you are able to recognize how other people see you, as well as your own strengths and challenges. You have a clear view of yourself, which allows you to be more confident and creative while making good decisions and communicating well. It can help you 
become a stronger leader or better worker as well. Harvard Business Review focuses on internal and external self-awareness. Internal self-awareness represents how clearly we are able to see ourselves, our values, passions, goals, reactions, and impact on others. It has been associated with higher job and relationship satisfaction, personal and social control, and happiness, as well as decreased stress and anxiety. The second category of self-awareness is external self-awareness. According to Harvard Business Review, this is understanding how other people view us in terms of the same factors that we mentioned before for internal awareness. People who know how others see them are more skilled at empathy and taking in the perspectives of others. When managers or leaders know how their employees see them, they tend to have a better relationship and their employees are more satisfied and more likely to see them as effective leaders. Being skilled at one type does not necessarily mean that you are skilled at the other type. It is more so the case that highly self-aware people actively work to balance that scale. Another interesting point made by Harvard Business Review is that sometimes experience and power can hinder self-awareness. Seeing ourselves as highly experienced can prevent us from questioning our assumptions. They also found that the more power a leader holds, the more likely they are to overestimate their skills and abilities. This could be because they did not receive as much candid feedback due to their level. Or the more power they hold, the less comfortable people are giving them constructive feedback. This is why to strengthen their abilities as leaders, it is important to take the initiative to seek out feedback from others, which can lead to increased self-awareness and can strengthen the perception that others have of them as leaders. It's pretty cyclical and is a part of the idea of lifelong learning. We will never know everything and we will never be done with personal growth. So stay curious and be opening to continuing your journey of self-awareness. The next skill is mindful awareness. Once you have the thought awareness, focus on external awareness. What is your body experiencing? What is happening in the environment around you? Remember those mindfulness exercises we talked about a few weeks ago? That's where these can come into play. The breathing exercises or meditation can help to ensure that the chaos around you is not creating chaos internally. Is someone yelling? Acknowledge that and let it pass. Are there a lot of people in the room making things noisy and overwhelming? Acknowledge it and let it pass. Is another person feeling a big emotion? Recognize that it is theirs and not your own. Then... You're right, acknowledge it and let it pass. Let it pass does not mean ignore the issues. It just means that you don't need to let those circumstances shake you to your core like you might be tempted to. Maybe take a moment and slowly count to 10 in your head. Treat it like a factory reset. Next, you might have to be transparent and tell the people around you that you don't have the answers right now, but will take some time to sit with it and think of an optimal solution. Maybe you need to physically step away from the current environment. Ask the people around you to give you a moment. Ultimately, when thinking of our external environment, we're thinking about how we can best protect our hearts, minds, and bodies. Because if we forget to do that, 
we start to drown in the circumstance. Picture literally trying to stay afloat in the ocean while solving a math problem. I can guarantee that even a professional mathematician can't solve that problem while trying not to drown. It's a weird analogy, yes, but the point is, swim to an island. Create a space for yourself. Thirdly, we have cognitive reappraisal, which includes altering the way that we think. This may include thought replacement or situational, situational role reversal and is a skill used to increase our flexibility and acceptance. The goal is to look at a situation from a new perspective. Thought replacement is not as complex of an idea as it may sound, but it does take patience and practice. It is basically reframing our thoughts to have a more positive tone. You have to be very intentional about it at first, but eventually it becomes a very helpful habit for building resilience. Instead of telling yourself, oh, I'm so stupid, I messed up at work, you can say, I made a mistake at work, but I'm sure I can make up for it. You learn from that mistake, and it will happen less and less in the future. You also are not speaking down to yourself. There's a whole world with people who might be tempted to bring you down. Do not be one of them. Your voice is the one that will be with you for your entire life every single day. So let it be a kind one. You have the power to make it a kind one. I think of it as being a friend to myself. Would I ever tell a friend, oh, you're so ugly, or you aren't smart enough, or you can't handle this challenge? I absolutely would not. Because in my eyes, all of my friends are incredible, smart, successful, and kind, and lovely people. And this is how situational role reversal can help. You look at a situation and think, what would I say to a friend? Or what advice would I give them in this situation? Tell yourself, I'm so pretty, even when you don't entirely believe it. Say, I am smart and capable and I can accomplish my goals even on the days when your goals feel distant and impossible. When you are stressed with a thousand things to do, maybe tell your friend, remember your friend right now, it's you, remember that. Tell them, start by prioritizing the most urgent things and remember to drink water, eat, and take care of yourself. Changing the way that we communicate with ourselves can strengthen our confidence, coping skills, and can break a pattern of communication that has been following us for our entire lives. The reason I'm talking so much about this particular point is because it is so much more important than just be nice to yourself. We talk a lot about breaking the cycle of abuse that has been handed down for generations, and this is a part of that. Would you be telling yourself, I'm not smart enough, if someone else didn't put that thought into your mind at a young age, it's not a surface level issue. It's huge. Sometimes it's generational or cultural trauma. Sometimes it's a result of the racist and patriarchal society we were raised in. This history has led to internalized homophobia, internalized racism, internalized misogyny, and so much more. But they all amount to some version, some form of self-hate. It is bigger than just you, which can be daunting. But that doesn't mean that it can't be prevented by individual people. 
We all need to change the rhetoric, and it starts in our own homes. As Michael Jackson would say, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. Next up is adaptability, which is our ability to adjust to new conditions. Emotional dysregulation lowers our adaptability to life changes, causing us to become distracted, fail at our coping mechanisms, and resist change. As we all know, though, change is a part of life that sometimes needs to be embraced in order to be enjoyed. So let's talk a bit about some of the ways we can improve our adaptability skills. You can focus on your awareness of changes in your environment. Know what you're working with. Maybe it's an updated budget that may affect you or a new policy at work. Once you know about it, you can act on it if necessary. You can also focus on learning to accept change and recognize what tools you need in order to make the adjustment easier or smoother for yourself. That's when a growth mindset comes into play. Be willing to learn and try new things and be curious about new methods that are being practiced. Find opportunities to try new things and remain open to solutions that are not necessarily the old ones you've been turning to. New problems need new solutions, which may require new skills. Another aspect of strengthening our adaptability is seeking out feedback. Take the initiative to ask for constructive feedback from a manager or a peer who you find is particularly good at a certain skill. But when you receive this feedback, I encourage you to remember that it is meant to help you improve on your weaker skills. If a manager frames it in a negative way, as bad as it feels, that much is not your burden. It is more likely that the manager themselves needs to build their skill of providing positive feedback. Your responsibility is to read their response, take away what you need to learn, and leave what doesn't serve you. Now we have self-compassion and the time that we take for ourselves. Reminding ourselves of our strengths and virtues and being patient when we make mistakes. How we talk to ourselves matters and has a significant impact on our abilities to cope with negative emotions or situations. We've already covered this a minute ago when discussing thought replacement, right? But there are also more tangible interventions like changing your environment, decluttering your space, going for a walk, cooking a meal, and more. An article from Psychology Today discusses seven exercises to increase self-compassion. So I suggest checking out that article to learn more about each of these steps, but here's a general overview. One, write a self-compassion letter. Literally write something kind to yourself or maybe to your childhood self. I've written encouraging letters to my future self even. (laughs) Two, let go of negativity, which we've talked a bit about. Picture a blue sky full of clouds and attach a negative thought to each cloud. Then watch as they move away. This can help you visualize negativity fading away and hopefully leave room for positivity to step in. Three, Stand up to your inner critic and ask if you are being unfair to yourself. Or nix the shoulds. See if you can stop using the word should in your internal monologues. Don't judge yourself for doing things differently than someone else. Five, practice loving kindness meditation. Usually this is directed towards others, but you can also do it for yourself. Six, take a self-compassion break. Just stop everything and take a little break to simply be nice to yourself. 
And seven, forgive yourself. When you're a jerk to yourself, just apologize if necessary and move on. It isn't always easier, but it can help you to move past challenges or past regrets. We can't change the past, but we can learn, forgive, and move on. Lastly, we have emotional support. That may come from within ourselves or from others. This is the expression of empathy, love, and caring. Maybe the support you are offering yourself isn't enough for some situations. That's okay. It happens. Schedule a time to meet with your therapist, or if you see one regularly, maybe make a list of things that you would like to discuss with them at your next appointment. Or you can call a trusted friend or family member and say, hey, I need to talk through something. You can also participate in self-care groups. These may be offered by various organizations in your communities, but they also may need to be sought out. At Self-Care Society, many of you know that we host groups like this every Wednesday, specifically for community health workers and neighborhood navigators in Ohio. And anyone can tune into our podcast episodes where we discuss things like healthy support systems. Ultimately, emotional regulation is crucial in determining how we respond to certain situations, especially when there is a crisis or high stress problem that we are presented with. Building the skills that we have discussed can help to navigate some of those situations in a way that best protects you and the other people involved. We wouldn't fight a fire with fire, so why on earth would we combat stress with more stress? You have been listening to the Self-Care Society podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, remember, it's not selfish, it's self-care.